0: latino stories historias latinas es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de latinos en ohio oral narratives of latinos in ohio con entrevistas en español inglés and Spanish. Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Today, we continue the series on discussions about Latino fatherhood. Hoy me acompaña Domino René Pérez. Domino René Pérez is an associate professor in the Department of English and the Center for American Studies at UT Austin. Currently, Dr. Pérez serves as the Senior Associate Chair of the Department of English. Her first book, There Was a Woman, La Llorona, From, From Folklore to Popular Culture, examines one of the most famous figures in U.S.-Mexican folklore, plotting her movement from post-conquest oral narratives into contemporary cultural productions. Her recent book, Fatherhood in the Borderlands, A Daughter's Slow Approach, was published in 2022 and is um, the subject of our discussion today. Bienvenida a este episodio, Domino. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your journey into higher education. My journey into higher education
1: is an interesting one. I attended six undergraduate institutions uh, before finally graduating from Southwest Texas State University. I think it's also worth mentioning that I flunked out of the University of Texas at Austin, which is ironic given where I teach now as a first generation college student. Uh, My parents wanted me to earn a degree in anything that was going to create financial stability. And for them, that was either being a doctor or a lawyer. My family ultimately settled on that I should be a doctor, but I was terrible in chemistry and physics and calculus ultimately did me in. Uh, But the one thing that I was really good at, the one thing that I really loved was the one thing that my father told me um, to not come home and tell him that I was majoring in. And that was in English. He said it was a useless degree. So six undergraduate institutions. uh, I ended up doing my master's degree at Texas State, which was then Southwest Texas, Mm -hmm. and then uh, applied to several graduate schools that were offering Studies in American Indian Studies, uh, Chicano Studies, and film; mm-hmm. those were my primary areas initially, and then ultimately settled on the University of Nebraska Lincoln.
0: Mm-hmm. That thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of our first gen st- students, right, um, need to hear those stories. I I often say, well, I'm a, you know I'm a community college to PhD professor, uh, which is you know something that um, sort of normalizes uh, our different journeys to where we are. And I often wonder why our, you know, parents, uh, Latino parents, and maybe in other uh, cultural groups, uh, this is the narrative too, that they see being a medical doctor or a lawyer as the path, right, (laughs) to to success. Um, So, Domino, did you grow up in the U.S.-Mexican border? I did not. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I was mm-hmm.
1: born and raised there, but the border played a big part of my growing up, and by that I mean, um, my mother. W- my mother was devoted to the Virgen de San Juan mm-hmm. and to um, uh, Saint Jude, and so we made regular pilgrimages to the border down to Far, mm-hmm. to the Vigen shrine. Uh, We also regularly went to Reynosa and Matamoros, so we were traveling back and forth across the border with some regularity. And I remember those trips. Uh, And they were a big part of my growing up. So did I grow up on the border? No. Was the border part of my growing up experience? Yes.
0: Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about your family makeup? Uh, How many siblings and are you the oldest or the youngest in your family? Most people who know me assume that I'm the oldest, but I'm
1: the baby. (laughs) Uh, So I have an older brother. And it's just the two of us, which is very, very different um, in my family. Uh, And I say that because I have one tío who has 10 kids and I have another tío who has 11 kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our very small family seemed like a bit of an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, uh, my father was an electrical engineer Um, That's not how he started off. In fact, he started off, you know, working, um, doing wiring in houses and uh, learned through apprenticeship and then uh, became a draftsman and then from being a draftsman became an electrical engineer and then he became a petroleum engineer and then he became a petroleum engineer of offshore technologies, all without a degree. Mm. And that's back when you could apprentice and you could obtain professional status through experiential learning. My mother uh, graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and she had a series of um, administrative positions. Uh, she once worked as um, an assistant for Captain James Lovell, uh, NASA astronaut, mm-hmm. um, and uh had her own restaurant for a while. And, you know, I think ultimately her dream was to be an entrepreneur. Uh, And she had it for a little while. And then we had the economic downturn in the late 80s. And they lost their, she lost her restaurant. And um, I don't think she ever quite gave up that dream. And I think that economic instability was always sort of in the back of her mind. And she didn't want that for me. And then my parents split up, but they didn't split up until I was in college. And so I grew up with both parents for most of my life until I left the house to go
0: Mm -hmm. to university. Right, right. Uh, Domino, I have been having discussions with Latino men about fatherhood and have heard different stories and experiences from men uh, who grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, um, elsewhere in Texas, uh, mm-hmm. like Houston, and other places in the U.S. While I think that um, having these conversations and, and perspectives on fatherhood from men are important, there is something unique too, about the female daughter perspective. Can you first talk to us about your interest in this research? Yeah, I think the question
1: that you're asking is really at the heart of the the work that I did in fatherhood in the borderlands. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I didn't see fathers like my own Mm -hmm. um, in popular media. Uh, most of the representation that I saw was um, in terms of manual labor, and there's certainly people in my family, my father included, my mother included, uh, who did uh, manual labor, who did field labor. My mother picked cotton in South Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, her brothers were on the migrant trail, so that was certainly a part of our experience, but also a part of my experience growing up was seeing my father put on a tie and go to work. And I didn't see that represented anywhere in media, in popular culture, in literature. And it made me not only long for those kinds of representations, but it also made me ask what kinds of stories are being told about us by excluding fathers such as that,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, such as my own.
0: Right, right, so I'm more full re- representation of of men and fathers right in our in our communities i think
1: mm-hmm. I think so, I mean in large part because my again, my father didn't necessarily represent any of the i mean I didn't find any resonances of who he was in the representations we were being given. Mm-hmm. My father was very hands on um he was incredibly supportive, supportive of Um, My playing sports. He coached my softball. He went to all of my volleyball games. He came to, you know, track meets. He was very present Mm -hmm. um, in some ways. Uh, Now, that's my experience. But Mm -hmm. my experience with my brother is a completely different experience. And as I state in the book, he had a much different, much more severe version of the same person. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was almost as if we
0: had two different fathers. Right. Those relationships are unique. Right. And I, I do think, I mean, growing up in the border on the other side of the border in Mexico myself and having a, a, a father that was never really there, but was there. Right. He was always working mm-hmm. elsewhere. He was not in mm-hmm. um, present in my life, uh, but I mm-hmm. knew he was somewhere else, like working, um, you know, in, in the U.S. or in other places, Um so those exper- and i i am also the youngest one in my family um, mm. and there's a big gap between me and my brothers and so i know that their relationship they had with him was different than than i did and, and i and what and I, and i'm saying this because uh, first of all you share right how the different um, experiences we might have even within the same family um, mm-hmm. And I think we don 't talk about that a, a lot we, uh, maybe is because of gender right um, maybe is because of age i don 't know, uh, but I think uh, we do it 's important for us to have those discussions about how our fathers were present or not or 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 how are they present or not in the media what 's the mm-hmm. what 's the um, narrative that 's being told about them and uh and so with the discussions i've had so far you know i have had um sort of the 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 fathers that i'm talking to in many ways are changing this narrative like they they are mm-hmm. committed to be in present uh something that perhaps didn't they didn't see what their own fathers right um, so 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 I do think that it's important to have those discussions and see uh, maybe where the gaps are or have been in in our in our culture. Why was this work important to you personally? There are so
1: many. I mean, it's such a complicated answer. On the one hand, it was important to me because I wanted to get promoted to full professor writing this book was the one thing that I hadn't done to complete the understood requirements Mm -hmm. to be eligible for that opportunity. And so on a very practical level, it was a book that I needed to write on another level. It was a book that I couldn't figure out how to write. Mm -hmm. I've been trying, I had been trying to write this book for over 10 years Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do it. I couldn't find a way to, connect the material in a meaningful way and I, and and for me when i say meaningful i mean meaningful to me i would get started and it would it would feel impossible and i would get overwhelmed almost immediately mm. and i think it was because on the one hand, I knew that I wanted to write about fathers. I knew I wanted to write about fatherhood, but I was ultimately dissatisfied with the kinds of representation that I was going to have to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that felt not necessarily generative for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I knew at some point that if I was going to talk about the absence of fathers and particular kinds of representations, Mm -hmm. like I was going to have to offer alternatives. And I couldn't quite figure out how to bridge those two things. Like, how am I going to offer up representation? And how am I going to talk about representational lack? What is the bridge Mm -hmm. for those? And of course, now I look at the book, and it seems so straightforward. But I couldn't see it at the time. And then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. Spending so much time at home, and revisiting um my childhood i was a latchkey kid for most of my you know for most of my my childhood which means you know i i took care of myself i came home i fed myself you know both of my parents worked and that was my reality um, and it wasn't i i didn't suffer because of it it taught uh, because of it it taught me an incredible amount of independence but it also gave me room to discover discover movies discover books And and during the pandemic, I found myself going back to some of those movies and even some of those texts from my childhood, Mm. and I thought about the influence that those works had on me and how they influenced who I am as a scholar, and I realized that the way to talk about fatherhood and the way to frame this project was to talk about my own father and I hadn't been prepared to t- to do that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to do that. And so ultimately, what I learned as a result of writing through that process is that he gave me my love of film, uh, and he, you know, he and I together embarked on this incredibly kind of nascent film studies. Mm-hmm. Um, project. I mean, we 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 didn't know what we were doing. We were just right. trying to figure out what was happening in the in, in in movies, and we were we were learning about sound cues and music and and you know characterization, and we were you know, in our in our conversations together. And so, my love of film came from my father, and my love of literature came from my mother. Hmm. Uh, there wasn't a book that my mother wouldn't get for me, although she did take away one book that was Judy Bloom's Forever. Um, she Way thought to... it was, um, <laughs> well, because there was a, there was a rather racy scene in it where, um, a young man, two teenagers have sex and she, he tells the, um, his partner, the the name that he's given his penis. And my mother was outraged. And She was (laughs) like, you shouldn't be reading things like that. And which is, you know, so she took that book away from me. But other than that, um, she was always very excited to put books in my hands, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so we would go to garage sales or we would go to the library and, you know, she would try to get me books as much as she could, because I think that she wanted, you know, she wanted a very she wanted a different set of opportunities for me. Mm-hmm. And so from my mother books, from my father film, um, and together, they're the ones who helped me to, whether they knew it or not, obviously they didn't, but they're the ones who helped me to frame how I was thinking about this project.
0: I know. I, I was just going to comment. They they sort of put you on this path, and then they didn't want you to become an English <laughs> Major:
1: <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Because I, I think it was for them, it was just about the education, right? Mm-hmm. You read the books, you, you, get, you get the education, and, and then you do something with that. But I, I, you know, I don't think my parents had a real understanding of what you know majors were or what disciplines were, right. or you know or I was you very could much yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I was very much on my own, although later on my mom said, my mother was incredibly supportive, especially after my parents split up my mom was incredibly supportive, but she, you know, she would always say, Miha, why are you still going to school to be a teacher? Can't you already just do that with the bachelor's degree that you had? And she just couldn't, she didn't understand the difference, at least initially, Mm -hmm. uh, the difference between being a teacher in, you know, public school and the K through 12 and being a college professor. Right.
0: Right. I really appreciate, Domino, what you said about writing the book, in a you know practical way, right? you know, uh, getting the next getting to the next step yeah. in our field, right in, in terms of promotion, but I also uh, appreciate that we don't have to write something that is not part of who we are or how mm-hmm. we see the world. And I really, I really like uh, what you shared about you know um, making scholarship that is relatable. Uh, that mm-hmm. is meaningful to us and, and also very likely will be um, will reach readers right in a different way that's not just sort of academic um, right. that is written maybe uh, in a way um, for access to a wider audience. So I wanted to ask you in the description of your book, you mentioned the epistemic value of creative inquiry And I wanted mm-hmm. you to expand on this, as it relates to to the process maybe writing of writing this book, um, mm-hmm. although I think you have mentioned some you know some pieces already but um but yeah if you if you would um, expand on that a little bit more yeah
1: by that I mean specifically, what are those sources of knowledge that we have that often don't have the same value or are not valued in any way in the academy, and by that I mean family knowledge, family history. I mean, storytelling, the subjective, uh, for example, the subjective is looked upon um, as not replicable, right? Therefore, it's not objective. Therefore, it doesn't necessarily have value in intellectual inquiry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think about how much I've learned from the people around me in terms of their experiences in terms of storytelling in terms of watching them cook right cooking can be a place of epistemic inquiry Mm -hmm. um, because not only are you learning how to make a dish there's usually also some other lesson Mm -hmm. that's being imparted uh, especially if you're a careful listener Uh, and even if you're not a careful (laughs) listener sometimes you're going to get another lesson Um, but i think about religious practices i think about spiritual practices i think mm-hmm. my um my mat- my paternal grandmother was uh was a curandera mm-hmm. um i didn't know what that was i just thought that people came to her and she helped them i didn't understand what a curandera was mm-hmm. i just knew that if something was wrong or if i had a stomach ache or if i had susto or mm-hmm. i had mm-hmm. you know mal de ojo or something else like those were things that she could treat. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought everybody's grandmother did that. Um, I thought, you know, and so when I talk about the, you know, epistemic value of creative inquiry, I, I think that all of the, I think of all the various kinds of creative expression, and the knowledge that those creative expressions produce, and looking at those as sources of knowledge, because they are they are incredibly rich sources of knowledge that we often don't value, and we should.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I do oral history and, and working w- in community, right? Uh, I do service learning, and I and, and that's one of the things, right, that I want to make sure that our students uh, know the value of our the knowledge that mm-hmm. exists in the community, but also the knowledge that they bring themselves um, mm-hmm. into the classroom, right, and how we constantly uh, are producing knowledge, uh just by being together and, and, and talking. And, and so, yes, that's something um, that um, I'm hoping more of us are shifting and, and really centering and, um, and valuing those experiences, right? Yeah. And that was
1: something that was very important to me as well when thinking about this book. On the one hand, yes, I wrote the book because it was something that I needed to do professionally. But also, I felt it was an opportunity to demystify the creative intellectual process, um, because I think there is this idea, especially for young scholars, um, that ideas just sort of manifest out of thin air, Mm -hmm. um, that they just happen. And if those individuals can't reach into the ether and pull down an idea, then somehow there's something wrong with them, right? But ideas come from places, and those places that they come from are as important as the knowledge they produce, Mm -hmm. or they help to produce or inform. And so I wanted to lay bare that whole process. Um, I wanted to also be very honest about my failures in writing this book, because we don't talk about that. Um, My relationship with my father is not ideal. I haven't spoken to my father in decades. Mm -hmm. And I'm ultimately okay with that i there's I, that that's a part of the process that you know of, of
0: writing this book that that i learned as well um that you can write about these things and be removed or be okay with it yeah
1: yeah or or you know i, I think that the project in and of itself and the the intellectual production is messy and we like to think that it's clean <laughs> and it's not no it's tangled up in so many different things Mm -hmm. in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in our anxieties, in our, you know, in our doubts, Mm -hmm. in our, you know, fears about being imposters or, you know, all of these things are tangled up in that. And I wanted to lay all of that Bear so that someone could benefit from the experiences that I've
0: gone through and maybe not have to go through them. Right, right. So I'm as, I'm going to ask you what you want us to 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 come away with, but I think there is so many things, right? Especially like right. If, if I'm right, I'm reading it right as a as a as a faculty member. Um, maybe other people will read it and, and come away with different things, but I do want to want to ask you that. Um, you know, what you think or what would you hope that people that read your book, um, Fatherhood in the Borderlands, as a, a daughter's slope approach, what do you want them to come away with?
1: I think the main takeaway I would like for people to have is that if there's something in the world that you need that doesn't yet exist, you have the ability and the authority to make that thing, to create it, to put it into existence. And I don't think I believed that for the longest time. And I say that because in writing this book about fathers, I had to, and and the lack of representation and the lack of representation of fathers who looked like mine, I realized if I'm going to talk about how these fathers don't exist, I'm also going to have to write mine into existence Mm -hmm. so that people can see. What it is that I'm talking about. And then ultimately, I'm changing, I'm also changing the narrative, right? If I'm saying that they don't exist, then I'm filling this gap with these images that I'm saying previously didn't exist or weren't necessarily a part of the conversation. And I think sometimes we feel like we don't have the authority to do that or we can't do that and you know if something doesn't exist it's an opportunity for us to bring it into existence however we do it whether it's writing or painting or doodling or you know storytelling or music or whatever the case may be if there's something that we need
0: um, we have the power to create and, and we should be encouraged to do that absolutely. Domino, gracias por esta conversación.
1: Uh, muchísimas gracias a usted
0: a todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros, hasta la próxima